July 4th, 2008, 8.30 p.m. Hey, Drew, what you doing? Cooking burgers. Uncle George needed to sit down. I've taken up the mantle in his stead. Thrilling cinematic storytelling. Thanks. Yeah, well, instead of trying to get into Sundance, shouldn't you be watching your... Well, when you knock at the devil's door. Certainly not my progeny causing that. Fuck. What the hell are you two doing? Happy fourth, old man. Is that... Is that a Gatorade bottle full of gasoline? We hammered up some firecrackers and taped them to the top. For the boom. I... Kaylin, you're a goddamn Eagle Scout. You got a merit badge for fire safety. You're enabling this? It's America's birthday, Dad. Unclench. Eat a hot dog. Set something on fire with us. Uh, are those fireworks even legal in Clark County? Scratch that, I know they're not. Who the fuck drove you out to Parham to get those? What are you, a cop? How dare you. Listen, you little pyromaniacs, we just got invited back to family functions, and I'll be damned if you've ruined this for us. No, no, walk over there! That's where we got the- Oh, God! everybody, and welcome back to Compelled Dual Desert Song. I'm Barry. And I'm Al. And we are a single-player, co-GM'd TTRPG actual play podcast. Previously on Compelled Dual Desert Song. I'm gonna go do a B&E on this nightclub. Who's not accounted for? The opening act. Exactly. So, something supernatural that can mess with the sound system and apparently kidnaps people? Sounds like sirens. This is something called a she-shield. Essentially, it renders the wearer invisible to any agents of the fairy courts. Well, if it works, it wouldn't exactly be unhelpful. 
so it seems like our game plan is that Luke plays some poker, and if things go sideways, Dahlia gives us an exit route, and I light some people on fire. Under no circumstances are any of you to stay in the Solstice Casino after sunset. It turns into an entirely different world after dark. Understood. So what's our way in? Stop, stop, stop! Lydia startles and takes her free hand off of the phone. What, what, what? They all have the same instruments. Different genres. Different faces. Same music. Sirens can shapeshift. In, like, every story I've ever read, they can shapeshift. Hold the phone. Is that Leslie fucking Jordan? Oh my god, that's Leslie Jordan. There's more at play here than we thought, and this is starting to feel like a trap. Are we bailing? Let's put the heist in Casino Heist, and then, yeah, let's get out of here. Ah, shit, Toto, I don't think we're in Vegas anymore. Lola is just repeating increasingly frantically. Where, where's, where's Camille? Did anybody see? They got her. And let's jump right into end of session experience. We'll start with Team K. Did I conclude the current mystery? No. Nah. Did I save someone from certain death or worse? I drove the getaway car. You did do that. I would argue that between the three of you, uh, you, Lydia, and Lola all saved at least one of the others from certain death. (laughs) Did we learn something new and important about the world? You learned a lot about, like, the mechanics of sirens. You learned that psychic powers are uh, a semi-regular thing that people can have. Yeah, I I would say you learned about the world. Did I learn something new and important about one of the hunters? Oh yeah, um, I would say for sure, what with your telekinesis thing and the fact that Lola put her entire foot in her mouth (laughs) during that conversation with Courtney Hernandez. Cool beans, everybody on my team marks two experience. Okay, so Kay and Lola both have a level up coming for them at the end of this mystery. Can't wait for that. That'll be useful. Let's move on to Team Damien. Did I conclude the current mystery? Nah, dude. Did we save someone from certain death or worse? Um, no. In fact, the opposite is true. Your entire team is in mortal danger, and you dropped a steel girder on beloved actor Leslie Jordan's head. (laughs) Or you're going to, at some point. Did we learn something new and important about the world? Yeah, you learned that fake casinos are fucked up. This is a secret tool that will help us later, I guess. And did we learn something new and important about one of the hunters? Uh, nothing relevant. You learned some of, like, Luke and Dahlia's idiosyncrasies, but nothing that's really related to the plot of what's going on right now, so I'll say no. Alright, so that is one experience point for everybody on Team Damien. Anyway, last time we left off with both of the siblings O'Connell in somewhat compromised positions. Indeed. We pick back up with Kay, driving the Cutlass away from this club. Lydia Antonov is in the backseat, definitely concussed. And Lola is sitting next to her, frantically looking out the windows. 
they snap. What do you mean they got her? She was right. Kaylin is just white knuckling the steering wheel. I think at this point they are just freely bleeding out of their nose all the way down their front. I I don't know. She wasn't in the parking lot. I, I looked around. I could try to go around the block, but I I don't feel good. Um, I think I'm losing a lot of blood. Like, all of us are fucked up right now, right? Oh, yeah. I don't know exactly what number you got on your sheet, but Lola is rocking three harm and Lydia is rocking five. Yeah, I'm at four, so Lydia and I are both unstable if we don't get treatment our injuries are gonna get worse this is true and like lola's not unstable but like even they are cradling an injured arm uh yeah i'm gonna try to loop around the block and look for camille but lydia's definitely got a head injury and whatever happened to me is not fun so i i I think we're gonna need medical attention Do I see Camille anywhere? Nope. What about the green van? You don't see that either. And as you're looking, Lola has opened up her phone and is like frantically tapping and goes, Okay, so, um, her phone's off. Alright, so no using find my friends then. Nope, um, that's what I was trying to do. And she puts her phone down on the seat and looks out the window again. It's okay. We'll... We'll find her. But first, uh... Lydia, do you know where the nearest hospital is? We've got to get you in a CAT scan machine. Lola needs her arm looked at, and... I think my brain might be more broken than usual. We can't help Camille if we keel over dead. Well, in my case. Lydia groans and says... Shut the fuck up. And then sits up, cradling her head, and says, I think the nearest one's Sunrise. It's, um... And she points. That away. Driving my friends to the hospital, and I don't have a heartbeat or a normal body temperature. This is gonna be fun. You pull into a hospital parking lot. You don't know this, but this is the third hospital that we've visited in six episodes of this campaign. Things are relatively quiet as you pull the cutlass up to the doors. I think you get out of the car and immediately lock eyes with a paramedic leaning back against the side of an ambulance, (laughs) often on a vape pen. You maintain eye contact for what feels like years (laughs) with this paramedic, just this chubby east asian dude with a bad haircut before he goes oh shit case spits out a mouthful of blood and goes please don't it'll make the parking lot smell bad the three of you get rushed into this emergency room lydia is immediately whisked away to some sort of head scan there is a nurse taking a look at lola's in some way injured arm And this paramedic tows you over to a bed and tries to start taking your vitals. They bat his hand away as respectfully as possible. Eh! That won't be necessary. This poor motherfucker looks you up and down skeptically and says, 
It extremely will. Yeah, no, it won't. You see, the thing is, I just drove them here. I'm fine. I'm I'm totally fine. You are covered in your own blood. I haven't seen something pour as fast as your nose since I was still going to frat parties. Please. Okay, I have to ask, are we in relative privacy right now? It's an ER, there's a curtain. Okay, moment of radical trust. Kay just sticks both hands out, wrists flexed toward him like she's expecting to be handcuffed, and raises an eyebrow. I mean, alright, sunshine, you're not gonna like what you see, but go ahead. Thank you. He goes to check your pulse just with his fingers, pauses, and goes, Oh. And then he whirls around, grabs a monitor next to the bed, and goes to put a pulse ox monitor on your finger. The big monitor that he wheeled over immediately starts beeping frantically. Ah! And he goes, Oh! And then turns to yell over his shoulder, Hey, we need a- I- I- I want to put my hand over his mouth. I roll! I roll! I do what I need to do! Let the record show that Barry just covered my mouth in real life, and that's the take we're keeping in the episode. Shh. Literally, what do I need to roll to silence this man? Uh. Huh. I think what we're gonna do is I'm gonna make you roll to act under pressure to slap a hand over his mouth and silence him in the moment. And then I'm gonna need you to roll to manipulate someone to keep him quiet. If I succeed on the first one, emphasis on if. (laughs) Minus one, this is fun. Okay, not as bad as it could have been. An eight to silence him. On a seven to nine, you get a worse outcome, a price to pay, or a hard choice. This is a kind of low-stakes thing, to just clap a hand over a person's mouth. I already said you were going to have to roll to manipulate him, so you're going to have to do that, and also he licks your hand. Ah! It seems like he just does it completely on reflex, because he looks mortified as soon as he realizes what happened. Roll to manipulate someone. Oh, great. Negative one to this, too. Three. I'm gonna use another luck point. So, actually, I rolled a 12, minus one, which is 11. Okay. Give him a reason to shut up. Still holding her hand firmly over his mouth, Kaylin looks into this man's eyes and goes, You know what? I am so sorry. I feel like we got off on the wrong foot here. I'm Kaylin. What's your name? Okay. I'm gonna take my hand off your mouth now. Are you gonna make me regret it? No. They take their hand away. Apologies. Your name again? You'll have to enunciate. I'm hard of hearing. It's Wyatt. What the fuck? Yeah, relatable. She stops looking at him and just leans forward to pinch her nose and put her head between her knees to try to curb the nosebleed. Alright, Wyatt, I want you to listen to me. 
I am so aware of what a big, huge medical anomaly I am, but what I need you to understand is that I have way bigger fish to fry than being dragged into an operating theater at Sunset Medical Center at two in the morning like some kind of macabre show pony. Totally understandable. That'd probably run you a couple thousand dollars. Good man. The only thing that can help me now anyway is an autopsy, and I don't even want to know what you're charging for those these days. So here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna make up some normal-looking vital signs, put them on your little chart, sign me out of this joint against medical advice, and you're gonna come to terms with the fact that sometimes you just brush up against weird shit like ships in the night, Wyatt, and that it's okay to say, you know what? Nah. And move on. That's advice I really could have used a couple years ago. And then he grabs a clipboard off of a side table next to the bed that he's got you sitting in. And he takes a pen out of his breast pocket and clicks it. Do you have any medication allergies? She stares at him, making a concerted effort to make her eyes look more dead than they already are. Penicillin makes my tummy go all funny. He looks at you with apparent genuine interest and goes, How does that work now that- Okay, uh, do you happen to know your blood type? Oh, negative. Universal donor. Don't get any ideas just because I'm dead, though. That little red dot on my driver's license only applies once I stop kicking, screaming, and fighting you. He nods, looking tired, and says, I am not even fucking clocked in. And then he turns around and he heads off, presumably, towards the blood bank. And I'm gonna go ahead and mark one experience for him on the worst night of his fucking year. Until we meet again, sweet prince. So, Damien, you and your friends are trapped in a fake casino on some sort of demi-plane severed from the outside world. Looking for an item whose location you are not certain of, with protections surrounding it that you cannot fathom, you can only assume that there are several entities within this place that wish to do you grievous personal harm, and you have no way of acquiring outside help. What would you like to do in this situation? I think what I would like to do is kind of a moot point, because what I'm going to do is have a fucking panic attack. So you are, in the middle of a time-frozen lobby. Dimly, you feel a manicured vice grip close around your arm. I'm sure Dahlia sympathizes with you, but she is of the mind that y'all need to fucking go, and I don't really think she's wrong. Oh, as soon as I process what the fuck is going on, I stop dead in the middle of the lobby and just, like, check out. But if I'm getting grabbed, I just whip around with, like, an awful animalistic snarl. Like, full fight or flight, I am not thinking at this point. In this fight or flight response, you feel a surge of heat go under your skin, and hear the sound of something sizzling. But Dahlia does not let go of your arm. She glares at you and then jerks her head back towards the frozen fey creatures all throughout this lobby and then at the clock hanging behind the front desk. We've got 10 seconds, move! 
Yeah, I'm looking around at like the fey creatures and I I'm gonna I'm gonna hoof it into the emergency stairwell, I guess. At the exact moment this heavy metal door clicks closed behind you, you feel this heavy whoosh of magical energy through the air and start to hear muffled voices, conversations from the other side of the door. Time has resumed, and apparently no one in that lobby noticed your presence. Okay. Cool. I'm gonna bite down on the heel of my hand and collapse against the wall. Yeah, you're physically and mentally blue screening right now. Dahlia is absently kind of sucking at the cut that she opened up on her hand to stop time. And Luke Johansson is fucking fuming. He takes three big steps up this stairwell and then whips around to look at both of you. Okay, okay, yeah, this is normal. This is fine. You know what's really getting me, though? Michael clearly knew that this place had the capability to turn into a fucking Doctor Who episode and didn't tell us. Oh, pip pip cheerio, the place turns into a different world after dark, he said. Hey, Dahlia, does your vampire sugar daddy always talk in riddles when people's lives are on the line? Dahlia, very calmly for her part, takes in all of this verbal abuse, blinks, nods a few times, and then dives up the stairs with her arms outstretched like she's going to throttle him. I am going to, with some effort, uncurl enough that I can talk. It doesn't really fucking matter! We're done! We're gonna die here! This is it! Dahlia has managed to get one hand around Luke's throat. He is choking comically. And she more side-eyes you than actually turns to look at you. Oh, really? That seems like an interesting change of tune from the guy who was convinced a minute ago that we were gonna pull off the world's greatest heist. <laughs> a minute ago? I didn't think we were stuck in a bubble dimension with Faye that want to turn this into a production of fucking Little Shop of Horrors! Dahlia opens her mouth like she's gonna start arguing with you, but then Luke makes an unpleasant gurgling noise. I think you two are forgetting about the only survival tactic we've got. Please let me go! And miracle of miracles, Dahlia actually does let him go, at which point he coughs and turns around back to both of you. <coughs> Ugh, hell hath no fury. Noted. Anyway, um, are the two of you just completely ignoring the fact that there's an artifact in this casino that can shield all of us from being perceived by Faye? If we can get it and hold on to it long enough for us to get back to the right dimension, we should just be able to walk out the front door. <laughs> you got a point as long as we don't, you know, get turned inside out or fed to the plants or any of the other horrible things that will inevitably happen to us if we're stuck here. Alright, enough. Snap out of it, kid. My survival's contingent on yours, and I'm not dying here. We came here to steal some magic shit. Let's go steal some magic shit. Besides, we've got about a minute before the alarm goes up all over this casino that we're missing. I suggest you both start climbing. That's what I'm gonna do. Yeah, I'm looking at a distinct lack of options here. I'm gonna pull my shit together and go up the stairs. The three of you go up, and up, and up, 
until there are no more stairs to climb. You're for sure having an asthma attack by the time you reach the top level of this casino hotel tower. Yeah, for sure. I'm not gonna take my inhaler because I am also panicking. You emerge out of this stairwell into a grand palatial lobby-type space. There's a big vaulted ceiling overhead that looks to be some kind of false skylight, because there's light coming in through it, and you know for a fact that outside of this hotel is just void-like darkness. There are marble floors, plants crawling up the walls, and a big, polished mahogany door right in front of you. It is closed. Can I, I guess, read a bad situation? This is all a bad situation. Yeah, do that. Well, I rolled a three on the die, um, and, and I have plus one to sharp. Well, I have a level up in the bank if I live. Sure do. Unfortunately, you are not able to glean anything about the situation. But you don't really have to. Because as the three of you are still sort of standing in the shadow of this stairwell door, you hear an irate voice with a southern twang say, What the hell do you mean they're gone? And this polished door swings open. Dahlia is immediately going to roll to use her rote to stop time. So I'm going to mark another harm for her. Um, for the record, Dahlia can't do this again without becoming unstable, because she's at three harm right now. And I'm going to roll plus weird. A nine. So time stops for ten seconds as Matheon of the Solstice Throne, this fae wearing the face of beloved TV personality Leslie Jordan, freezes in the doorway, holding a walkie-talkie, and looking very upset. Dahlia doesn't say anything, she just runs straight past him through the open door into this penthouse beyond. Are you following? Yep, absolutely. You and Luke follow her in. She dives immediately around the first corner she sees and presses herself flat against the wall. And then... Time starts again, and Matheon walks straight out this door, slams it behind him, still jabbering into the walkie-talkie. How can you say that they disappeared? They were right in front of you, you incompetent son of a- there's the sound of an elevator door opening and closing, and the three of you are alone in this penthouse. It is the polar opposite of Michael Darcy's living space up here. The place does seem to be an exercise in displaying wealth, but there's none of the anachronistic furniture or weird, interesting curios stacked around the place. The design of this penthouse is extremely coherent. It looks like it was lovingly put together by an interior designer. Everything has a central theme, everything makes sense, but it's very cold and clinical. You are struck by the idea as you look around that you have no idea what kind of person lives here. There's no personality to it. Okay. I'm self-aware enough to know that I am not going to be able to <laughs> look around and uh, 
make efficient work of finding what we're looking for. So I'm going to try and trap the door. Okay, go for it. Yeah, okay, I'm going to roll use magic to bar a place or portal to a specific person or type of creature. Six plus two is eight, so... On a seven to nine, it works imperfectly. I choose an effect and a glitch. The keeper will decide what effect the glitch has. I don't know how long we're going to need in here, so I'll take one harm. And now I cannot take any more harm or I will be unstable. You go to cast this spell and a magical rebound hits you like a heavy static shock. It's almost like you're pressing up against a barrier to try to bring this magic forth. You suspect that something in this area may be magically protected, but you do manage to get that barrier up. Luke has done a burglary before. I'm going to have him investigate a mystery to see if he can find what we're looking for. Okay, that's a seven. On a seven to nine, he gets one question off the list. I think he's going to ask himself, what is being concealed here in this very sterile, perfect, immaculately decorated penthouse? He just goes around and starts knocking on walls. Like, ear up against the drywall, occasionally moving paintings on the wall to check behind them. Eventually, he stops beside this sculpture. It's like bad, soulless, modern art, amoeba-type looking stuff. Knocks on the wall a couple more times and nods to himself. Yep, that's reinforced steel back there. It's either a safe or a panic room. You're welcome. I feel like I should ask, but I really don't want to. Well, you see, typically safes and panic rooms contain money and valuables, which can be exchanged for goods and services, which are things that I like and often find myself in need of. I'm going to move away from the door, keeping hold of my arcane focus, just like ready to light some shit on fire if something trips up the barrier that I've put there. Alright, smartass, can you open it? I can. With, um, an industrial-grade blowtorch and a set of lockpicks and computer software capable of scrambling keypad and biometric locks and about six hours. Well, a blowtorch I can handle, uh, and I think Dahlia's got a bobby pin. You've got exactly as much time as it takes for them to realize that I have firewalled the door, so to speak, and bust it down. (sighs) You know, you don't pay me enough for this shit. Luke, I'm essentially a high school sophomore with five years of amnesia on top. If you went into any of this expecting to be paid, that really sounds like a you problem. You know what? Fair enough. Dahlia, bobby pin, please. And I'm going to roll to act under pressure for Luke to see if he can MacGyver this safe open with a human blowtorch and a bobby pin. I'm assuming the human blowtorch should roll to help out with my zero to cool. You can certainly try. Ten. So Luke's going to roll plus cool, which his modifier is plus two, and then add an additional one for plus three. Twelve. 
So on a 12 plus, you may choose to either do what you wanted and something extra or do what you wanted to absolute perfection. Given the stakes, I'm going to go absolute perfection. Luke, like, pries a circuit board off the back of this tacky modern art statue with the bobby pin, has you strategically burn a few wires, and the whole thing rotates like the entrance to the Bat Cave, and you are left looking at a cavernous reinforced steel room full of treasures. Do you go forth? Uh, uh, I'm gonna roll to read a bad situation again in case there's traps. So that's a 10. Okay, on a 10, you get three questions from the list. Are there any dangers we haven't noticed? There would have been if Luke had not perfectly cracked this safe. You see, like, pressure plates and things in the floors and evidence that the room is clearly trapped, but... The break-in was so flawless that none of these traps have been turned on. I guess I'll ask what's my best way in, meaning what's my best way to get to the artifact that we need. So there's a lot of shit in here. There's pieces of Neolithic art. There are ancient reliquaries. There are kind of like innocuous looking rocks and twigs and things, but something that you notice is that everything in here is meticulously labeled. Title and date, it's all stored in chronological and alphabetical order. There are archival cabinets around, there are hermetically sealed glass boxes with like fragile looking pieces of parchment in them. But you feel like there's some sort of indexing system to how things are stored in here. You could probably find this thing if you knew the title and the rough date that it was from. What's the biggest threat? So the answer to that is kind of strange because it's not necessarily the biggest threat to you. As you sort of cautiously move into this safe and start looking through the artifacts, you feel a powerful magical energy washing off of something stored against the back wall of the safe. This item is so well protected that it blatantly sticks out from all the other treasures. It's in one of those hermetically sealed glass boxes that I was talking about that seem to be airtight and inaccessible. There's a separate keypad lock and little fingerprint scanner on the bottom of this thing that you feel like you'd have to crack if you were to want to get it out. You see, like, temperature monitors and other sorts of wiring running through this sealed box. Whatever it is, it's fucking powerful. You feel dizzy looking at it. Which is weird. Because it's just a feather. A single, coal-black feather. Like, this magical energy doesn't feel malicious towards you, but it feels caged and contained and very ready to be out. Do I feel like I could break the box? Um, 
you know what? I strive to make this a wide open sandbox for you to make all your dreams reality, but I'm going to be frank with you. There's a million monitors and locks and codes on this thing. You can try to smash and grab it, but it's going to set off a shit ton of alarms and you will be at risk or unable to get what you came in here for. That's up to you, however. Nah, just because it's not malicious towards me doesn't mean it would be helpful, so I'm going to try and find the shield. Okay. As I mentioned, it's not hard. There are clearly labeled placards in front of every single one of these artifacts in this safe. From behind you, you hear, Holy fuck, is that the Hope Diamond? And then the sound of something being lifted out of a box and put into a pocket. And then you see it. A small, equal-armed cross that looks like it's been woven together with reeds made of iron. A little placard on the wall next to it that reads, She Shield, Ireland, circa 1052. Grabbing it. This iron is freezing cold in your hand. You run a bit hotter than most people and feel the chill of it all the way down to your bones. It almost feels like that game you used to play when you were a kid of crack an egg on your head, let the yolk drip down. And you feel these creepy tendrils of cold stretching across your skin until it blankets you. Not too far away from you, you can see Luke and Dahlia also both twitch like they've just gotten a cold chill. And you would assume that the protection of this artifact is now working. So, mechanically, the way this works, you cannot be perceived or tracked by Faye while you have this artifact on you. However, there is still the issue of you being locked in a different dimension until sunrise. So how would you like to deal with that? I look at Luke and Dahlia, nod, and say, Well... Now we just have to lay low in a fake casino for fuck knows how long. No problem. Luke, who has gone right back to stealing everything his gay little hands can carry, barely even looks at you as he continues shoving some long dead actress's Oscar statue into the inside pocket of his suit jacket. I mean, if we're going to be killing time, may I suggest the Pleasure Dome? If you get stuck in the Pleasure Dome, I will leave you there to die. He heavily considers it for a second. <sighs> what a way to go, though. Alright, you're the boss. Lead the way. So, Kaylin, we find you in the driver's seat of the Cutlass, with a hospital bracelet on, driving into your neighborhood with Lydia Antonov in the back seat, groaning quietly with an arm thrown over her eyes. She does, in fact, have a nasty concussion, officially diagnosed, and Lola sitting in the passenger seat, completely silent, just staring out the window with her arm in a sling because she dislocated her elbow. I don't know what cover story you tried to give for the assortment of injuries you all are rocking, I didn't. 
I got all of us out of that hospital against medical advice on pure intimidation. Thank you. All right. So, to recap, you have whatever kind of internal bleeding happened in your face, Lola's dislocated elbow, Lydia's concussion, and at least two kidnapped young women that you should probably rescue soon before they get eaten to death. <sighs> yeah. She pulls into the garage, turns the car off, and just leans her head down against the steering wheel for a second. <sighs> Alright, so we need to regroup. Mikasa Esukasa, please don't mind the ghosts. They're mostly just annoying. Maybe don't use the upstairs bathroom if you don't want to die. I don't... I don't know at this point. Lola gets out of the car without a word. Lydia, from the back seat, groans again and says, I'm gonna text Augie to say that I'm crashing here tonight because he's gonna flip his fucking lid if he sees me like this. If he texts you, act pathetic. Okay, so what's gonna happen if I tell you that I think we're gonna need your gun for this? She peels her arm away from her eyes and glares at you. Then I would say it sounds like a good time for you to break out the cat suit, Selena Kyle, because I will be napping on your couch. In my, <laughs> what, 72 hours at this point of reacquaintance with the world, have found that the direct approach is much better. You go take a nap. I'll be right back. I get out of the car, go out into the backyard, and attempt to go into the Antonov's townhouse through the sliding door. Okay, just for fun, these, I'm gonna roll a d6. If it's an odd number, the door is locked. If it's even, it is not locked. Even. You open this sliding door and are confronted with the sight of Augie Antonov standing in front of his fridge. <laughs> Both doors open. In his underwear. Stuffing something into his mouth. And he whips around to look as he hears the door open. Hi, Augie. Um, absolutely nothing that you should worry about is going on. Lydia's crashing at my place tonight. Uh, I need the gun. There is a pause, and then he straightens up, grabs a box out of the freezer, closes the door, and says, which one? What, what do you have? He moves into the light, and you see that he is clutching a box of frozen eclairs. I mean, do you want something that's legal, something that's untraceable, or both? Okay. I get that I probably shouldn't be asking for clarification on this, but just for my own lack of memory and peace of mind, Augie, what the fuck? He kind of shrugs and says, Because being queer and Jewish a stone's throw away from Salt Lake City is fucking invigorating, and everyone should try it. Queer. Trans. Also a stone's throw away from Salt Lake City. Oh my god, do I also have a gun? I'll figure that out later. Show me what you have. <laughs> yeah, sure. He spins around, walks out, kind of waving vaguely at you. I don't know if you're following or not. 
I mean, yeah, we just got our fucking shit kicked in a parking lot. We're gonna need some firepower. I'm gonna go where that is. Okay, he just goes into the living room and opens up a cabinet underneath their TV and just methodically, still in his underwear, still holding a box of frozen eclairs, pulls out the shotgun that Lydia had when she came over the other night, two pistols, and then he kind of scrounges around a little bit and pulls out just like, this weird, very small, like, six shooter. <laughs> and then looks at it and goes, Huh. So the Coke banner was premeditated. Good to know, Mom. And then he puts that down on the floor. And then you hear a phone ding from the kitchen, and he looks up, nods, and says, And that's Lydia's cover story, I assume. Would you like to give me one? Or are we just going wild? I will leave you with my heartfelt gratitude and the assertion that you really don't want to know. I grab all of the guns and run back next door. You go back over to your house. Lydia is, in fact, laying on your couch, holding her phone, squinting at it. And there is water running in the little downstairs half bath. I very carefully put all the artillery on the kitchen table, look around, yell, Nobody touch this! And then I'm going to investigate my house to see if I do in fact have a gun. Uh, I will tell you, you said that to Augie, but I think instinctively you know you don't, because like, yes, you are in fact queer, trans, and a stone throw away from Salt Lake City. You're also schizophrenic and have a family history of debilitating mental illness. Not to put too fine a point on it. I do have a kitchen knife in here, though, because I've used that in previous episodes. I grab that and add it to the artillery pile. Lydia gets up with a groan as you are amassing all of this and then comes over, grabs the little tiny six shooter off the table and says... Hey, good judgment, Mom. Don't want a repeat of March of 2009. I'm sure that's a fantastic joke. I hate that it means nothing to me. Where's Lola? She waves a hand kind of flippantly towards the door to the half-bathroom, which opens, emitting Lola, who is tightening the strap on her sling. Kay pauses, still holding the big butcher knife, and gives her a really big, uncomfortable smile. Hey, um, we have weapons. Her mouth pinches into a thin line, and she nods. Okay, so we just have to figure out where the hell we're going. Yeah, uh, working on that. I just, I need a minute. Kay walks off through the kitchen and onto the back porch and just starts chain-smoking. I think I have a move from my spooky playbook that will help here. I have something called hunches. When something bad is happening or is just about to happen somewhere that you aren't, roll plus sharp. On a 10 plus, you know where you are needed to go, just in time to get there. On a 7 to 9, you get there late, in time to intervene but not to prevent it altogether. On a miss, you get there just in time to be in trouble yourself. I feel like if there was a time to use this, it's now. Uh, yes, absolutely. Go ahead and roll plus sharp. Come on. 
seven. You go out to the back porch. You're standing there, lighting up a cigarette. You see, through your peripheral vision, down the hallway to Lydia laying back down on the couch, looking tired and in pain, obviously. And Lola pacing the length of your living room, you would assume, tapping furiously at their phone. They look like they are trying not to panic. The porch light above your head flickers for a second. And on that little side table next to the lounger back here, there's one of those stupid novelty ashtrays. This one is molded to look like the Hoover Dam is coming up from the middle of it. Which is why as you're looking at it, for a second you think that like the black plastic that makes up the bottom of it is full of liquid. Really weird, but like, obviously it's not. It hasn't rained since you've been resurrected and probably not in a while. You're in the middle of the Mojave. And the light above your head flickers again. And you hear something rustling in the backyard. But you're still looking at this ashtray because... The dark bottom of it is getting higher. I'm stressed out. It's been a bad couple days. I'm gonna reality check myself, reach down, try to touch it. Okay. You do that, and your fingers sink into the surface of this rising bottom with a wet, sticky sound and you smell copper as it bubbles up around the tips of your fingers and then over the sides and blood starts to run over this side table onto the concrete of the back porch. It makes gurgling, bubbling noises and from off to the side in the darkness of the backyard. As the porch light flickers again, you hear another rustling sound. Lydia? You hear a muffled thump and I'm coming. And another rustling sound from the backyard and into the circle of light cast by the porch light overhead hops a black bird. You never learn to tell the difference between ravens and crows. You think ravens are bigger? It's pretty big. You're not sure. But it hops into the light and looks at you and the blood dripping from this ashtray. And then... (coughs) You look it in its beady little eyes as you hear footsteps clomping across the floor of the kitchen. And you pass the fuck out. And you're not there anymore. You are at an odd vantage point. You are pretty high above the ground. And 
you're watching that English racing green van pull into a parking lot. It pulls in in front of an L-shaped concrete building. It appears to be like a strip mall shopping center type deal. And out of it jumps the siren back in the face of the lead singer of the band you saw the other night. The rest of its band, who are also wearing new faces. And Camille, being led by the elbows, one band member each side. She is swearing up a storm. You are a little ways away, so you can't hear her super clearly, but you you get the intent. She is clawing, scratching, raising hell. As they go up to like the little sidewalk in front of the strip mall, she looks like she's going to bite one of the band members, and only his quick reflexes save him. You watch as another one of them claps a hand over her mouth, and she like visibly full body winces. It must be like a pretty hard grip. And then they drag her into this building. And then you're back. You blink awake, laying down on your back porch. Lydia is on the ground with you, kind of bent over you, going, Okay, what the hell? And Lola is standing silhouetted in the back door. Before I say anything, I'm checking the ashtray. I'm checking my hands. There's nothing on your hand. The ashtray is an ashtray. Is the bird still there? If you look out into the darkness of your backyard, you can see a little shape hopping around. I... I I saw them. I saw the sirens and Camille. They're... In some kind of shopping center? I don't know. Lola steps out of the back door, staring at you intently, and goes, What do you mean you saw them? We probably shouldn't take it at face value. I'm, I'm stressed out. I'm not perceiving things the way I should. Lydia, from next to you, goes, Okay, we can talk about this inside. Get, get off the ground, come on. And she reaches out to help you sit up. Okay. I'm gonna go inside and minus the blood fountain ashtray and creepy prophetic crow part of everything, tell them what I just saw. Lydia sits down on the couch with you as you're doing this. Lola is pacing again. And as soon as you finished relaying what you saw, they turn to you and go, okay, uh, we need more detail than that. I don't know how much more I can give you. It was the same van from the previous crime scene. Camille was there. She was lucid and fighting from what I could tell. I mean, I could maybe give you a more accurate assumption of location if I knew anything about the place where I apparently grew up, but I don't. Empty parking lot, empty strip mall. I get that there's probably a lot of those in Vegas. That's what we've got right now. She makes a disgusted noise in her throat and just, like, throws her one good hand up and goes, Shape of the building! Any of the signs! Anything! We need more to go on than just strip mall! I- I- I'm sorry. 
um, kind of L-shaped building, I guess. Pretty well lit, so in a denser part of town, I guess. Lydia chews in her lower lip for a second and goes, By the strip, maybe, you think? It pains me to admit this, Lydia, but I don't know! Lydia gives you kind of a hurt look and says, Don't get pissy with me, I'm trying to help. Yeah, that makes three of us. Uh, maybe I should go back outside, see if I can do it again. Lola sits down on your other side, puts her head in her good hand, and you feel the impact of her knee knocking into yours. And they say, let's just, let's think logically. And I'm going to go ahead and roll something for her. Okay, uh, seven plus one to weird is an eight. Okay. They're going to use a luck point. So that's 12. Lola takes a very deep breath, pulls out their phone, pulls up the maps app and starts dragging around. It appears that they are kind of dragging the map around aimlessly. And then they drag it decisively. Okay, well, this is the direction that they were going from the club, so... (sighs) Huh. It looks like there's one not super far away. Um, It's near the Solstice Casino. The what? Lydia groans. Long story, extremely short. Faye bought the Circus Circus and remodeled it. What bought the what? You're not there anymore. Parentheses. Threat. You are in what immediately pings to you as a break room in some sort of customer service oriented uh, establishment. You are sitting on a rickety metal folding chair at an even more rickety folding metal table and your father is adjusting the collar of a truly hideous button-up shirt as he looks in a grimy mirror on the wall. It's like a white button-up with pastel polka dots all over it. Disgusting. And he's saying, I know, I know, I would have taken you to Lucy and Drew's, but I forgot about Rory's fucking figure skating thing in Grand Rapids. Mea culpa, worst father ever. And then he turns around, and he's kind of straightening out his hair, and he goes, Do I look like a greaseball? Be honest. I have to ask something of you to ensure that I play my character correctly. Am I in a place that I can tell I'm around clowns right now? You don't see any clowns, but, like, there's a uniform that looks vaguely clown-like hung up in a locker in here. And you know in your bones that there are clowns nearby. In this flashback, Tiny K looks up at their dad and through gritted braces and crusted teeth goes, The fact that you expect me to be responsible and watch the children and do my homework in this situation when I am stripped down to my id. 
That speaks volumes. Off to your side, your brother is taking a nap on a little ratty couch, and your sister, sitting next to him, says, Speaking personally, I don't trust you to watch me anywhere. Speaking personally, the only thing I'd like to watch you do is die, Ellis. Your father puts both hands up to his head and just rubs at his temples for a second, and then quietly, to the point that you're pretty sure you weren't supposed to hear it, but he doesn't care if you do, he says, and this is why CPS is breathing down my fucking neck. And then he shakes himself off, plasters on a smile, and says, Alright, kids. I'm covering four hours of a shift. Chill out. I'll come back with food in a bit. Don't kill each other. That's all I ask. Alright, but if you come back here looking like Pennywise, I'm gonna take you off my shelf. I hate this new job. Yeah. I got that. But there's no knights. Bakers can't be choosers. And he walks past you, ruffles your hair on the way by. I'm going out on the floor, finish your homework, watch some TV, I guess. He opens the door, walks out, closes it. There's a pause. And then he opens it again, leans back in, and does kind of a finger wiggle at you and goes, We all float down here. Fuck you, old man! And you're back. Lola and Lydia are both giving you kind of weird looks because you just dissociated for like 45 seconds. Oh god, yeah, that. Please tell me we don't have to go to Clown Town to get Camille and Chloe back. Lydia squints at you for like just a second and then says, Uh, no, but I know the strip mall that Lola's talking about. It's, um, it's out behind the... Ugh, they're calling it the Pleasure Dome now, I guess. Uh. Next to the gun range in the jail and the sex emporium. <laughs> wow. That was a sentence. Lydia is reaching over you to grab at Lola's phone to kind of look at it a little closer and says, No, yeah, Cross Straits, South Sammy Davis Jr. and Resorts World. I know exactly where that is. All right. So we've got a location. We've got considerable munitions. I'm just trying to think of if there's anything else we can get from here, or if we should just roll out to try to mitigate whatever damage has already happened. Can I roll plus sharp real quick for something? Absolutely, go for it. Nine. Okay, what, what, what are you rolling for? To just remember, like, a really innocuous fact from my childhood. Like what? Carefully, that's so ravens out for another several seconds and then comes back to lucidity and puts one finger up in the air. Hey, did you guys know that if you mix styrofoam and gasoline, you can make napalm? <laughs> Damien, we are back with you, Luke, and Dahlia on the floor of the Solstice Casino. You've got the she shield. What are you doing? Okay, well, first of all, I have to get out of this room. Um, we gotta kill a couple hours, at least. I don't know how long it's gonna take to get us back to the real world. I am assuming that the casino's gonna pop back up in Vegas eventually, just because Mick's been here before and isn't in a giant sinkhole of fey magic. 
Yeah, it sort of just depends where you want to follow whatever leap of logic you're about to take here. Just for clarity's sake, here's what you do and don't know. You do know that the Solstice Casino is somehow unstuck in space-time right now. There is literally nothing outside. You could try to run out the door and see what happens, but I don't advise it. You can deduce that whatever's going on here, it seems to be under some kind of time constraint, because Michael warned you specifically, hey, don't stay here after dark. So you can assume that by the morning, things will probably be all right. But a more concerning thing that you do know is that time works differently here. There are different rules. Your phones don't work. They don't display the accurate time. You don't really know to what extent time is messed up in here. So I would say that what you have to make decisions based upon is that you think that if you can make it till morning, you can probably just walk out. But that is also morning in the real world, and time is weird here, man. Okay, um, Damien takes a second to kind of ground himself, nods, and then says, Okay, okay, um, we need to plan. Uh, stop me if either of you can think of anything better, but I think our best route to not get fucking killed is to hide out somewhere near the front door and try to bolt as soon as it opens. Dahlia nods, looking just as frazzled as you do, but Luke sort of frowns and stares off into the distance for a second. Uh, it might actually make more sense to try to bolt out the back door whenever we get back. That way it's a straight shot to the parking garage, we can find Octavia and get the hell out. I see where you're coming from, but we've been to the front door multiple times and none of us has seen the back door yet. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, hey, I guess if we just storm the front door as soon as the world comes back and runs screaming into the middle of Las Vegas Boulevard, at least somebody will pay attention to us. Maybe. I admire your naive tourist optimism. I am not, good sir, a tourist. I grift tourists. Let's go find somewhere to hide, I guess. Okay, uh, you want me to roll to act under pressure? I would love that. Am I dealing with the consequences of my own spellcasting yet? No! Okay. Uh, that is an eight. Okay, make success. On a seven to nine, the keeper is going to give you a worse outcome, a hard choice, or a price to pay. I'm gonna give you a hard choice. You duck down this hallway off this main lobby looking for somewhere to go hide. And you find a security office. Just a small little room, lots of monitors on the walls. You could see camera feeds from all over the casino. Okay. Uh, I give a little nod to Luke and Dahlia and say, Eh, I mean, at least we'll know if anybody's coming towards us. Dahlia shrugs and just sort of takes a step in through the open door. All right, fine by me. At least there's free entertainment while we're here. Oh, shit! Behind one of these big computer towers that are running all the security monitors where you couldn't really see from the hallway, there is a security guard sitting in a chair eating a taquito and boredly watching the monitors. 
But the weird thing is Dahlia just said, oh shit, super loud, and you just screamed. And this dude is still just staring at the monitor. Doesn't even look like he knows you're here. I freeze. And then slowly walk into the room. And I'm gonna quick wave my hand in front of this guard's eyes. <laughs> Nothing happens. He's still just watching people in a food court somewhere. Is there anything on the desk in front of him I can fuck with real quick? I want to test the limits of this. Uh, yeah, sure. There are a couple more taquitos. A half gallon of milk that is about half empty next to a big gulp cup. And an open magazine that seems to be some kind of fey playboy type affair. There's like a really horny pixie. I'm gonna hold on to my uh, arcane symbol with one hand, and with the other, I'm gonna like. I feel like it's reminiscent of a child copying a move from a kung fu movie. I'm just gonna like dart out and try to shove at the Playboy just a little bit. Okay, you shove at it, a page turns in the magazine. Now there's like a really horny Selkie, and the guy's head snaps over to the side. To the side toward me, or away from me? Toward the magazine. He sort of frowns down at it, and flips back to the page before, nods as if he is satisfied, and goes back to his taquito. I'm like, cryptid posed in the middle of the security office. <laughs> I also nod, and then I turn back to Dahlia and Luke and say, well, the thing works, so there's that. Dahlia puts her head in her hands and just screams. So you three are just hanging out in the security office with this fey guard that doesn't know you're here. I'm keeping one hand on my necklace, just in case I need to set him on fire. And if he leaves the room at any point, I'm going to barricade the door. Okay, you spend several incredibly boring minutes just sort of watching the security monitors over this guy's shoulder. Luke makes a sort of uncomfortable noise, nods down at the magazine, and goes, Yeah, I don't know how long we're going to be in here, but all I'm hoping for is that he doesn't get bored and, you know, that'd be awkward. I look at the Playboy and then back at the security guard, distastefully. Well, I wasn't worried about that. I am now. Thank you, Luke. Happy to be of service. Dahlia looks like she's on the verge of clawing out her own eyes, and the only thing that stops her from doing it is the fact that this guard's cell phone rings on his belt. He picks it up, looking bored, clicks a button. Hello? Oh, shit! N no, boss, I, I haven't seen anything. Well, if they have it, I, I wouldn't have seen anything. Oh, 
no, nothing on the cameras. Uh, uh, I'm gonna go down to the casino floor and find Human Joe, get him to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, boss. Uh-huh. Bye. And then he shoves the rest of his taquito in his mouth and bolts out of the room. As soon as he's out of the room, I turn to Luke and Dahlia and go, Okay, help me lift some furniture. Dahlia blinks and sort of just numbly reaches over to start tugging at a wireframe shelf. My god, I mean, imagine coming to work every day and just seeing people getting turned into succulents all around you. They must have given Human Joe one hell of a benefits package. Either it's too late for Human Joe, or he is having a way better time than the rest of us. Furniture, moving it, please. Okay, the three of you pile a bunch of furniture in front of the door to this security office. And here is where your hard choice happens. As you are finishing tugging the last, like, filing cabinet over in front of the door, over your head you hear a little over a PA system of some sort. And this voice that comes out of it is so inhumanly placid and calm that it immediately sends chills down your spine. This is a message for one Mr. Damien O'Connell and all accompanying parties. Mr. O'Connell, you have something that does not belong to you. We would like it back. You have ten minutes to proceed to conference room B to return it, or else we will be forced to seek it out. I understand that the item you have stolen offers you a certain degree of protection, but I advise you to remember that we are not the only thing with eyes inside this casino. Ten minutes. Nine minutes, 59 seconds. Nine minutes, 58. Tick tock. There's another little... And the PA system cuts out. Behind you, you hear Luke go, Uh, guys? It's just one thing after another, huh? I turn to look at whatever's freaking Luke out. He is staring horror-struck at all of these security monitors. The resolution's not great, it's sort of grainy, so it's hard for you to figure out what you're looking at for a second. It seems just like a sea of glowing dots all over these screens. And then you realize what they are. All of these people throughout the casino that you have seen growing into chairs and being consumed by greenery have all turned as one to stare directly into the security cameras. And their eyes are glowing. So your hard choice is are you going to walk into the lion's den not knowing what's going to happen to you? Or are you going to sit in the security office and wait and see what happens next? I take a deep breath, kind of shake my hands out, and say, Well, um, I don't know about you two, but to me, whoever that was certainly sounded flammable. 
Dahlia has both hands in her hair and is just pacing, cursing under her breath. Luke is standing on a chair trying to unscrew the vent in the ceiling, like he's ready to go into the HVAC system. He rattles at this vent cover and then hangs his head in defeat and goes, Alright, well, our options are sit here and wait to be part of the weirdest game of Plants vs. Zombies anyone's ever played, or go out guns blazing. Fuck, I wish I'd brought my gun. Let's go. It's fine. I got enough firepower for the three of us. It's like the one thing I'm good at. So you're unbarricading this door and trying to find this conference room? Yep. Uh, And the entire time we're doing it, I'm going to complain in hopes that that will help stave off the panic attack. Yeah, it doesn't do much. You and Luke and Dahlia manage to haul all the furniture out from in front of this door, go back out into the hallway where you just were, and walk around following signs until you get to a big block of conference rooms. The whole time you are walking, you can feel the eyes of all these people growing into the casino following you. There are several apparently fey milling around, looking like they're looking for something. They don't see you. Every person growing into these chairs does. So, no chance we keep the element of surprise. Awesome. Yeah, given the whole all turning in unison to stare into the security cameras thing, you can reasonably assume they've got a hive mind going on. But conference room B is right in front of you. Doors closed. I am clutching at my necklace, and I'm opening the door. This conference room is gorgeously appointed. Lots of lush, potted plants in every corner. A long, polished table in the center of the room. And sitting at the head of this table is just a guy. Like, an utterly unremarkable person to look at. You're not looking at a guy who looks like he runs a business. You're looking at the archetype of a guy who runs a business. He's got very neatly trimmed dark hair, an immaculate suit, no wrinkles at all steely gray eyes, and a very well-kept-up mustache. You couldn't tell this guy's age if you tried. He could be 20 or 70, and he could want everything from you or nothing. It would be impossible to tell with how utterly impassive his expression is. He looks up towards the door opening, but seems to look straight through you, like he cannot physically perceive you, and very slowly nods at a couple of chairs next to him at the table. When he speaks, it is the exact same creepily placid voice that you heard on the PA system. Mr. O'Connell, I presume. Do have a seat. I'm sure we can come to an equitable solution here. I need everyone to know that I, as a player, understand that this is a bad decision. But I have to play my character, so I'm gonna roll to kick some ass. You do that? Um, I will say that mechanically on this, I'm not gonna have him roll harm on you, per the way kick some ass usually works, because, frankly, he can't see you. Go ahead. Eight on the die, and I use plus weird, so 
That's a 10. Excellent. How hard do you kick his ass? Um, okay, so I'm going to use my blast base. Uh, so two harm, magic, close, obvious, and loud. Uh, the loud doesn't really track since they can't hear me, but it is obvious, so I would say, like, he should be able to kick my ass back. Um, and I have a fire effect, so I add two harm additionally. Uh, so a total of four, and because I rolled a ten, it doesn't spread. And also because I rolled a ten, I'm going to choose to take one less harm from whatever he does to me. Uh, because I already have three harm on my sheet. Silmaris of the Solstice Throne does not scream when you set him on fire. He takes that fireball full to the face with not so much as a sound or a flinch. And even though you can see in patches the flames eat away at a bit of the glamour covering up what he truly looks like, you get brief flashes of too sharp features and eyes too big. He doesn't actually seem that hurt. Not even annoyed. Nothing ruffles that blank expression of his as he slowly reaches up to gently pat out a little patch of his suit that has scorched away. You could tell he still can't see you, but he's definitely looking with more concentration at the spot where that fireball just came from. And very slowly, he just sits back in his chair and sighs. Well, this is unfortunate. I had hoped we could discuss this like reasonable businessmen, but... And then he reaches into his suit jacket and pulls out a walkie-talkie. Clicks at a button on the side until it beeps. And says, Matheon, send in the clowns. Welcome to the Jackalope, America's premier pirate radio station dedicated to exploring the unknown, the unexplained, and general weird shit. So, we all know the whole shtick about liminal spaces, right? A mall 20 minutes before closing time, an empty playground after the streetlights come on, a 24-hour shopping center at 3 a.m., the continental breakfast section of any hotel that serves continental breakfast at any time other than when continental breakfast is being served. <sighs> anyway, it's about spaces that are designed to be moved through. Spaces where transience is the whole point, and how seeing those spaces empty has a way of making all of us uncomfortable. Because if the transience isn't there... What's the point? Well, our latest tip-off from a listener in the Midwest is enough to make you reconsider why that empty high school hallway or public pool just a bit too early in the summer is putting you on edge. Our listener, who prefers to remain anonymous, recently visited the airport in St. Louis, Missouri with her husband and her service dog. The St. Louis airport 
has quite a few abandoned terminals in the wake of airlines going bankrupt or shifting their business elsewhere over the last few years, leading to vast abandoned corridors and moving sidewalks that no longer move. You know, a liminal space. Our listener alleges that she took the aforementioned service dog to the pet relief area during a layover, leaving her husband in a row of empty rocking chairs overlooking Concourse D. When she came back... Well... Okay, the concourse has been abandoned for the better part of the last decade. Current airport staff are purported to avoid it. They say that it's haunted. And our listener insists that when she and the dog got back from their potty break, there was one of those rocking chairs that was still rocking. Empty. Bags right next to it. The husband hasn't been seen or heard from since. So, that said, here's your friendly neighborhood catastrophist here at the Jackalope, cautioning you to not linger for very long anywhere that... You're not meant to linger for long. And now, here's Arsonist Lullaby by Hosier. Kaylin, the last time we saw you, you were telling your friends that you know how to make maypalm from common household goods. I'm I'm not going to make you roll for anything. I'm just going to say you can do that. I'm not going to give you, like, a barrel of napalm, but, like, there must be styrofoam somewhere in your house. Yeah, I was assuming, like, a spare can of gasoline for, like, a weed eater or something, and, like, old styrofoam takeout containers. So, I have a gas canister's worth of napalm, I guess. Note, we here at Compelled Duel the Podcast do not advise making napalm in your garage. That said, you, Lydia, and Lola rock up on this abandoned strip mall. The neon lights of Las Vegas glimmer around you, never truly shutting off. You try as hard as you can to pull into this parking lot silently, but the Cutlass is an old car and it doesn't run super well. So you have no way of knowing whether or not these monsters know that you're coming. What are you doing? clarify for me where do we all stand weapons wise how are all of us armed uh you have your big knife and a gas canister's worth of fucking napalm (laughs) uh augie gave you lydia's shotgun which she is clutching close to her like a treasured friend (laughs) uh two pistols and a pea shooter that apparently belongs to their mother from augie and lydia's reactions to seeing it You know Lydia is pretty good in a brawl, and from what you saw a few hours ago, it seems like Lola has some kind of training, but they have not elaborated on what that is. And you have a safety cat on your keychain, I think we established. Okay, well, given our previous experience of almost getting fucking murked at close range, I don't think it's a good idea for us to be up in these things' faces, so I'm gonna make sure... All of us have a firearm, first of all. I'll take one of the pistols, hand the other one to Lola, give the pea shooter to Lydia. 
And then I'm going to take my napalm and very, very quietly get out of the car, not shut the door behind me, and sneak over to the front of this abandoned store as quietly as I can. I will say, it's a strip mall. You don't know exactly which store they're in, like, for sure, for sure. You saw them drag the girls up to one of the stores, but, like, it's kind of a question as to whether they're still there or what's going on. Like, you have this whole complex. I'm just going to start looking in windows, because I do have the sight, so if there's anything with magical influence going on, I could see it. I'm going to say, we've established that you can see, like, siren persuasion, but we have established that you cannot see the presence of the siren itself. So I don't think you see anything as you step out of the car. What I will do for you, I'm going to have Lydia roll her weird move, which is trust your gut to see if she can kind of suss it out. I will warn you, she has negative one to weird. Six. I'll mark one experience for Lydia. She peers at the windows, boarded up, of what appears to have been a shoe retailer at some point, nods sideways at it, and starts opening the door. Oh, oh, she's just opening the door. Okay, yeah, this is gonna go well. Alright, this can only end in tears. I turn off my hearing aids. Okay, you do that. As Lydia opens this door... You see that one of the backup singers that you didn't kill gloriously last episode is poking around at kind of the perimeter of the inside of the shop. Seems to be patrolling. I would say that they're at a close range, which is within the range of Lydia's shotgun, but not within the range of the backup singer's attacks, like to lash back out at her. Lydia's gonna get one shot off. As long as she can roll it, that'll be three harm for her. You are going to have to act fast to finish off this backup singer, even if she does that damage. So, let me go ahead and roll that. Lydia's gonna use a luck point, because that was a four. Okay, so effectively with that luck point use, Lydia rolls a 12. So, good news, bad news. Remember what I said about how you were going to have to act fast to finish off this backup singer? Yeah. I lied, because on a 12 plus, Lydia can do double damage. Holy shit! So, she opens the door. The world seems to slow down around you as... You process that this backup singer is there. It looks at the three of you. Lydia looks back at it, makes eye contact. You can't hear this, but you see her pumping the shotgun. And in one fluid motion, she squares her stance, pulls the trigger, and fucking headshots this thing. So that's that. Bad news. Even with your hearing aids off, with what hearing you still have, You can hear the shotgun going off, obviously. It is fuck off loud. So anything that is in your immediate vicinity definitely heard that. And you can see, like, because you're pretty good at lip reading, you can see that Lydia is cussing as she pulls the shotgun close and has to reload it. 
I'm trying to find any entry into this room from elsewhere in the building. Any doorway. Is it multiple points of entry? One? What are we talking? Uh, you would assume that there are cargo doors around the back of all of the stores because that's how it works. But other than that, no. So there's, like, just one doorway in here that goes to, like, the back room, maybe the bathrooms, shit like that? Yep. I am sprinting back there as soon as the shotgun goes off and dumping the entire canister of napalm in the entryway of this door. If something's gonna try to get the jump on us, they're probably gonna come through there. Okay. Roll to act under pressure. Four. Okay. So, you have your back to the front door, and you don't hear what happens next. Fuck. Uh, let me make some rolls real quick. Lola has a negative one to kick some ass, which is so, so good. But that was an eight, even with the negative one. Okay. Uh, so Lola inflicts one harm, and the backup singer inflicts two on her. So, Lola's unstable, and you you don't see what happened. You're pouring gas on the floor. Uh. However, you hear as another shotgun blast goes off. Come on, Lydia. God damn! That's a three. Absolute clown shoes. Okay, um, nonetheless, you do hear a shotgun blast. Well, I'm turning around at that. What do I see? You see the remaining backup singer silhouetted in the doorway. You see Lola leaned up against the wall just inside of the door, clutching at their ribs. Very obviously pained. And you see Lydia reloading the shotgun again. I'm gonna try to telekinesis it up against the nearest hard surface. Like, pin it there. So I roll plus weird for that. Ten. So I get two options off the list. My options I'm picking are I can fling something bigger than a person and something is held fast. So it's pinned, it's not moving. I'm gonna take one harm and hope that the other two can just unload on this thing. And yay, I'm unstable too now. Cool, so Lola and Kay are both unstable uh, and Lydia has three harm still. But on the upside, everybody levels up if you live. So this backup singer takes a step through the door. It seems to be focused on Lydia since she just shot at it, albeit unsuccessfully, which appears to have been her goal as she very quickly glances at where Lola is kind of curled up against the back of the front wall of this place, out of the backup singer's eyeline. She takes a step back to keep distance from it as she is hastily reloading the shotgun. And then you just swat this thing into the nearest wall. It is almost cartoonish. It just, like it's been hit by a truck. It just gets smacked from the right and flies into the left wall. And it is held fast as you feel something hot and wet start to drip from your nose onto your upper lip and you taste and smell copper. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Shoot it! Shoot it! Lydia finishes reloading the shotgun and she's gonna roll to kick some ass. 
I switched D6s between rolls. I need everyone to know. So if this is another failure, it's a Lydia problem, not a me problem. Thank you. Uh, that's an eight plus Lydia has plus two to tough. So that is a 10. Okay. Um, since on a 10 plus she gets an extra effect. I'm tempted by inflicting terrible harm, but instead she's going to gain the advantage and give plus one forward to Lola. So she does three harm. She is staying back. So she is within shotgun range, but not like up on this thing. It is thrashing against your telekinetic hold, pinned like a beetle against this wall. Lydia raises the shotgun, pumps it, click. Another blast rings out inside the store and you watch pellets just sink into the torso of this monster. And then Lydia nods at Lola, nods at the monster, and starts reloading the shotgun again. Lola is going to approach cautiously, but you watch her shift into what is unmistakably a martial arts stance, now that you're looking at it when you have a little more breathing room. And she's going to roll to kick some ass. Um, could I argue that me having the thing pinned to the fucking wall counts as a help out action? Ah, uh, sure. I'm going to roll and I'm also going to ask you to roll help out. Okay, I'm not very good at that. Another four. Okay, um, I'm going to roll for Lola. Okay, Lola also rolled a four. Cool. So she goes up and goes to hit this thing. And you try with your telekinesis, you like strain whatever mechanism in your brain is allowing you to do this to try and pin its limbs firmly to the wall so that it can't hit her back. And you feel something in your brain go pop. And this thing drops off the wall as you feel a lightning strike of pain go from the backs of your eyes all the way down your neck. <sighs> so it's taken three harm, but now it's loose. I'm shooting it. God. Okay, I got a seven, so it takes two more harm. Okay. So this thing drops from the wall. Lola is closest to it, so it goes to lunge at them, and you pull this pistol up. The world, again, seems to slow to a crawl as you line a shot up, and you get it right in the throat. And it falls to the floor dead. Kay slumps back against the wall and spits out a mouthful of blood. And then, probably much too loud because she doesn't have her hearing aids on, yells, all right, two down, but the big one's still out there. Find the girls. Lola is already moving out the door. They are not stopping to hear anybody else's opinions on the subject. Lydia is visibly grumbling to herself, loading the shotgun back up. And you all head out. I guess the role here would be roll to read a bad situation. I don't want to try and have Lydia uh, trust her instincts again because her instincts are not good. Yeah, you're fucking telling me. Eleven. Okay, uh, on an eleven, you hold three. You can ask me any three questions off the list. 
Okay, I kind of intuitively know the answers to a lot of these, so what's the best way to protect the victims? From what you saw, the uh, kind of main siren is pretty fast at regenerating, healing, whatever, and can take a lot of hits. So it seems like to you the best way to protect the victims is to get them out and not get them caught in the crossfire. Okay, and Lola's already running off to do that. I think if we scatter, it's going to be bad. What's my best way in? You still have your hearing aids off, so you don't hear this. Lola has been kind of walking down the pavement outside the strip mall, and she stops all of a sudden, and they cock their head to the side, and then they rush to one of the doors and start jiggling at the handle. It appears to be locked. And what's the best way out? I mean, you've kind of already discovered the fact that, like, each of these stores has one front entrance and one back. So you figure that with all of the sirens backup kind of taken out, as long as you don't get cornered at either exit, either one could be a quick way to get out and get back to the car and then hightail it the fuck out of there. Okay, I'm running out after Lola pushing them out of the way of the door and just blasting it with telekinesis. Okay, that's a 12. So I choose two options and mark one harm. One of my options is that I don't take that one harm because I am so severely hurt. And my other one is that I can move something bigger than a person. So I'm just blasting this thing off the hinges. You blast open these doors to an establishment that looks like its last incarnation was a popular national sandwich chain. Not that one, the other one. Oh, the one that, like, dropped off the face of the planet within, like, a year? Yeah, with the really fucked up commercial mascots. Got it, got it. And inside this defunct Italian sandwich place, you see... Camille, unconscious on the floor, and Chloe Hernandez backed up against a table, looking terrified. She is looking towards the back of the establishment. Uh, Your hearing aids are off, so you can't hear what she's saying, and she is mostly faced away from you, so you can't really speech read. But she is clearly saying something, and it seems like very loudly. Are they, like, tied up or anything? Not super securely. Uh, Camille is not tied up at all. You would guess that she just got knocked out and they didn't bother to tie her up. And Chloe has her hands cuffed in front of her. Okay, I'm running in and trying to get those off her and simultaneously trying to, like, shake Camille awake. Uh, You can't do both. There are, like, several feet of distance between the two of them. Okay, I'm gonna go try to wake Camille up first, because if she's unconscious, it's gonna be really hard to get her out of here. Cool, you're doing that. Uh, Lydia and Lola rush in behind you. Um, Lola's gonna come up to Camille with you, and you assume that Lydia is going to Chloe. You and Lola are leaned over Camille, trying to shake her awake. Her eyelids flutter a little bit. She seems like she got hit on the head pretty hard. There's, like, a little bit of blood at her hairline. Lola looks up towards Lydia and Chloe, like she's listening to something. And I want you to really quick roll to read a bad situation. Oh, a different one? That is a 13. 
Okay. On a 12 plus, you hold three. Go ahead and ask me two questions off the list and one free question. I'm going to regret asking this, but are there any dangers we haven't noticed? Yeah. I wish you'd gotten more information before you asked me that. You feel something collide with the back of your head, and you take two harm. Huh! The, the fucking ow! Cool, I guess we're about to find out if I can double die, because I have one hit point left. You go down on the floor next to Camille. As you do, you see that there is a shape above you. It is not any of the singers that you've recognized. And you realize, as it doesn't start to sing, it is not the main siren. You are facing away from Camille and Lola. You are facing toward Lydia and Chloe Hernandez. As Lydia gets to her feet in front of Chloe, squares her stance, and rubs a hand over her bottom lip where a little bit of blood is oozing from a split in it. And you have seen this before. So at least you're caught up to your vision. This backup singer starts to advance as Lydia pulls up her shotgun from where it is on the floor next to her. And she's gonna roll to kick some ass. I swear to God. Lydia, I swan to John. <laughs> that is a 10. She's out of range, so she doesn't need to reduce her harm. This time she's gonna inflict terrible harm. So Lydia does four harm on this backup singer, just blasts it. You watch pellets sink into its guts, and it stumbles back a step. But Lydia has to reload. And as far as dangers that you haven't noticed, there's one more. Behind Lydia, you watch as Chloe Hernandez's face goes from horror and frenzied energy to complete placid calm. And she opens her mouth, and you see that long, sharp, monstrous fangs have taken the place of her teeth. Ah, fuck! As she begins to sing. Fuck! Okay, two more questions. Specifically in this situation, what's my best way out? In this very specific situation, you can roll away from this backup singer, but it will still be right next to Camille and Lola. And if you go to try and get around its other side to kind of give Lola a flank, then you will be between it and the siren. Which Lydia is also there, so you have that, but it will be putting you more into the line of fire from one or the other. Okay, custom question. If I can immobilize both of these monsters, are the others going to have a chance to run? You don't know how fast Lola can run because she has sustained an injury to her ribs and Camille is unconscious. So Lydia could probably lift Camille. She's gangly, but she's not big. But that would significantly slow Lydia down because... At a glance, you think Camille's maybe an inch or two taller than she is. And the siren is singing. You are the only one not affected by the song because you cannot hear it. You've seen that, like, if they get 
startled, say, by the siren's monstrous appearance, or if they get hurt, the other two will be broken out of the song. But you don't think either of them can willingly attack this siren right now. And you don't know if they can run. I mean, it's not like we have any other choice. I'm going to slide my car keys across the floor to, like, as close to Lydia's feet as I can get them. And then I'm going to use telekinesis to try to throw the backup singer into the siren. Ten again. Okay, so I get to pick two options off the list and mark one harm. I would like to pick I can move something bigger than a person and something is hurt to harm smash. And I'm going to mark one point of harm and uh, that's all folks. I'm out of hit points. Okay. A few things happen. I'm going to say because you're throwing the backup singer into the siren, they are both going to take two harm. The backup singer is fucking donezo. It's dead. You toss this backup singer, this monster, like a blunt object at the siren. It hits a table and then the siren. And on instinct, you watch this siren, whose song is interrupted because it has just taken damage, lash out with its suddenly elongating claws and just rip the guts out of this backup singer. As they both hit the floor and skid a little bit, the siren tosses this backup singer to the side, just like a broken doll. Lydia and Lola both come out of this trance as quickly as they went into it because the song has stopped, and you feel like your head is on fire. You feel like someone has driven an ice pick straight between your eyes. And everything goes black. Hey, you're back in the desert. You feel sand and dry dirt scuffing and sliding under your feet. You can see where your bike is parked on the road. You feel one arm around your shoulders and that you have your arm around someone's waist. And you hear rough breathing to your side and distantly you hear the howl of a coyote your perception wobbles and glitches out and you're in your childhood bedroom there is light pouring in the window and you are curled up in your bed, you see the corner of what you remember now, looking at just a little bit of it, was a Star Wars-themed comforter that you got for your ninth birthday. And you are woken up by the heavy impact of someone jumping on your bed. And you hear your little sister yell, Kay, wake up! And then you're back. Mark off a luck point, please. Ah, nuts. I'm chugging toward Doomed real fast.
you open your eyes back in this national chain of Italian sub shops. And because of a couple rolls that I just did off mic, you see Lydia standing in front of this siren, reloading the shotgun. She is bleeding heavily from a gash that goes from across her cheek down into her arm. The siren is staggering, snarling, still with Chloe Hernandez's face. And you realize that this must be how it gets its faces. That every face you've seen is someone that someone else has failed to save from this monster. And out of the corner of your eye, you see Lola's arm stretch over you with a pistol in one hand. And they're going to roll to kick some ass. It's an eight on the die, so it's a seven. (laughs) This handgun does two harm. So you watch as Lola's hand is shaking on this gun. But she pulls the trigger, and the siren turns to face her, and it turns just in time to catch a bullet right between the eyes. And everything goes still. So it's dead? Yep. Um, do I have, like, any of my hit points back, or am I just baseline dead? You are stable. Kay just sort of lays there for a long moment, staring up at the ceiling. Shakily reaches up one hand to turn a hearing aid back on, and goes, I can't believe I just died in a fucking Quiznos. Damien, you just rained hellfire down on an archfey, and it didn't do anything, and now you're being threatened with clowns. What is your next move? Well, um, I could run, but presumably, even though he can't see me, the clowns will be able to. Uh, fuck it, I gotta play my character, I'm gonna hit him again. Okay, roll to kick some ass! Nine. I do four harm, um, and because I rolled under a ten, the fire is going to spread to other things. Oh, God. So here's the thing. For Dahlia's role as the Hex, she has something called a temptation. And every time she gives into it, she gets to mark experience. The one I have marked for her is Glory. Whenever you use your magic to steal someone's thunder, you mark experience. (gasps) So let me just roll something real quick. Okay. You launch this fireball at Silmaris of the Solstice Throne, and three inches away from his nose, it freezes in midair. Behind you, you hear Luke let out a yelp of pain, and Dahlia hiss, You stupid motherfucker! Has time completely stopped? Or just the fireball? You have no way of knowing that, but judging on how Dahlia's time magic typically works, you could conjecture that everything has stopped. Behind you, her and Luke are standing there. Luke is bleeding slowly from a little, like, tiny pinprick stab mark in his hand. It looks like Dahlia has just jammed her hairpin down into it. 
because her rote requires the spilling of blood. And you get the impression by the absolutely furious look on her face that she is done bleeding for you. I am trying so hard not to flip my shit right now. I think Damien is probably an upsetting sight to behold at this moment. He whips around, still clutching his arcane symbol, teeth bared, wild-eyed, and just hisses. Let's fucking go. Yeah, you got my vote on that course of action, sunshine. She turns around and books it out the door. Luke kind of stands there for a second, looking down at his bleeding hand and goes, Man, I didn't even do anything. And then turns around and runs after her. Are you following? Yeah, absolutely. Um, question. I know she froze time. Am I still about to set this casino on fire as soon as her rote ends? Oh, yeah. Cool. All right, you've got 30 seconds before time turns back on. What are you doing? I'm still looking around wild-eyed. I am, like, trembling. And I turn to Luke and go, All right, your plan. Back door. Okay, the three of you take off through the frozen landscape of the Solstice Casino. You exit this block of where the meeting rooms are and run across a skyway back into the main building. There's, like, a food court and all of that stuff, the casino floor, you're booking it through there, everybody's still frozen, and you run straight through the open archway into the Pleasure Dome, and that's when time starts again. The Pleasure Dome is exactly what you would expect it to be, and thus will not be described in detail on this podcast. <laughs> What will be described in detail, however, is the horrible, echoing memory you get in your head of Matheon saying to you as he was giving you the tour of the casino, We had to get rid of all them clowns. As time picks back up to speed, and you start to hear over your own ragged breathing, a distant foreboding honk. Apparently, they have sent in the clowns. Okay. I hesitate to ask what the layout of the Pleasure Dome is. Well, you're right at the entrance, so, like, the bondage gardens are way over to the right, the buffet of culinary hedonism is sort of off to the left along one wall, there's like a strange big hot tub with an island in the middle of it. You don't know what that's for. I have some guesses. I'm more asking <laughs> I'm more asking if it is still a large open glass dome that I can see the other end of. Yes, it is still a big open glass dome. You can see the big glass-ceilinged corridor that you assume the exit is through, but you're gonna have to wade through some shit to get there. Okay. I want to hit the, like, entrance behind me with a use magic to bar a place from a creature or type of creature. Do the clowns count as a type of creature, or am I just gonna bar it for, like, humans? I don't uh, know. Either way. Uh, <laughs> um... <laughs> 
See, I keep forgetting you could just fucking do that. I don't know why I bother with game design anymore. Uh, the, yeah, clap your hands if you believe. You can bar the clowns if you roll good enough. Cool. Let's hope I roll good. Okay, rolling plus weird. Good. That is a five. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so mark experience for me. And here is what happens. I think that when you are doing this sort of magic to block access from certain creatures, it requires a good bit of visualization and focus. So you are standing here trying to throw up this barrier to block out these clowns, and you realize you're picturing, like, a normal children's party clown, because that's what comes to mind. And, like, the spell is starting to work. You can see the magic starting to shimmer off the tips of your fingers as you clutch your arcane focus. But then you are caught off guard by a gurgling roar and the honk of a bicycle horn as you get hit in the side with the force of a locomotive. You are knocked to the ground on your back and pinning you down, hovering over you, is an absolutely horrifying creature. You can just barely tell through the haze of your terror that this thing was once ostensibly a clown that worked at the Circus Circus Adventure Dome. It has on a big red nose that is slowly being eaten away by moss and fungus. It has on a faded costume and a name tag that says Terry. The shoes are being eaten away by roots and vines, and there's like a long stalk of a blooming pink flower growing out of its eye. And this creature is just roaring and honking at you. It looks like it's about ready to rip you apart. Okay, um, I'm, g I'm gonna roll to kick some ass because setting things on fire works out so good for me all the time. That's a 10. On a 10 plus, I get to pick an extra effect. Uh, first, I will tell you, I'm using my blast effect and because I always use fire, that's gonna be four harm. Okay, you are in range and visible to this clown, so it also is going to inflict harm on you. The clown bites you. I choose to avoid harm. I avoid one harm. <laughs> okay. It was only gonna do one harm, but I guess you avoid that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm setting it on fire and I am backing away. I am going to make a joke out of this, actually. I think this is in character for me. I am yelling as I back away. Hope somebody brought something useful, like a machine gun. <laughs> God. Okay, so the clown tries to bite you, but you avoid that one harm. It opens its ravenous maw. It looks slimy in there. You see, like, algae dripping out. And then you just blast it in the mouth with a fireball and... Insta-kill it. Just so everyone is aware, that was a quote from the 1990 It miniseries starring Tim Curry as Pennywise the Clown. You know, I think I've read something about how if you have to explain a joke. Anyway, 
You blast the clown, you scoot back along the floor. Dahlia and Luke are both screaming in unbridled terror. I'm gonna get to my feet. I'm yelling at both of them. Don't stop! And then I'm gonna keep running. Okay, you're all running. I'm gonna ask you to act under pressure to get to the exit, because you have been caught by what appears to be the vanguard of these clowns. We need to see if you can get out before the rest catch up with you. But, since I am a kind and benevolent keeper, I will tell you this time, yes, you definitely are acting in a response to consequences of your own spellcasting, so you could take that plus one. Can I get a help out from somebody with a higher cool score than me? Yeah, sure, Luke's got a plus two, he'll help you out. As you make it to your feet and gun it past the buffet of culinary hedonism, I think Luke just lunges over the side, reaches into a trash can, and pulls out a fistful of banana peels. Hello? And he throws them onto the floor behind you, yelling, At least somewhere deep in their soul, they're still clowns. They have to slip on them. It's a law of nature. That is an eight. On a seven to nine, Luke's help gets you plus one to your roll, but he exposes himself to trouble or danger. A clown does catch up to Luke and bite him. So he takes one harm as the rest of these clowns start to catch up with you. The one at the front of the pack does slip on the banana peel, but, like, takes a hunk out of his arm on the way down. He screams. Okay. With my zero to cool, I now get to roll a total of plus two. Uh, that is a nine. Okay, mixed success. So you do what you set out to do, but you're gonna get a worse outcome. Yeah, I'm grabbing Luke's unwounded arm. I have longer legs than he does, so presumably I can run a little bit faster. And I'm just kind of towing him along, going for the exit. With the ravenous honking hordes at your back, you, Luke, and Dahlia sprint for the exit. You emerge from the Pleasure Dome into this kind of lobby area. It's a huge greenhouse, very high glass ceilings, lush, opulent plant life growing along the walls. And here's your worst outcome. As you run past a reception desk, off to the side, you hear the hiss of a walkie-talkie and a voice going, Don't make me say it again, human Joe. That little pyromaniac has caused more damage than the sprinkler systems can handle, and there ain't no fire department in the primordial outer darkness. Now take us back to Vegas. And, Damien, we find you in a bit of an awkward position. You are standing in a lush, opulent greenhouse filled to the brim with plants from all over the world. Outside the glass panels of this greenhouse, There is nothing. Something deeper than darkness. Just the void of empty space. (laughs) Next to you are Luke Johansson and Dahlia Amari Castillo-Bennett, wearing a very nicely pressed suit and cocktail dress, respectively. You are also in a suit, have had a nice fresh haircut, and standing in front of the group of you, between you and the door out of this greenhouse is famed TV personality and national treasure Leslie Jordan. 
Here we fucking go again. At least I know I roll good this time. Kaylin. So you just double died. You are on the floor of an Italian sandwich place. And now that you have a hearing aid on, you can hear a soft crackling noise as the shoe store that you poured a bunch of napalm into is starting to catch the surrounding strip mall on fire. Lydia's bleeding, Lola definitely has a broken rib, and Camille is like, just barely coming out of unconsciousness. But the siren's dead! What are you doing? Wishing I had stayed dead so this wouldn't be my problem. Thank you for asking. Kaylin gets to their feet as fast as they can, given, you know, the recent head trauma and death. Flicks on their other hearing aid and looks around wildly. Alright, so I set the strip mall on fire and we just fired a lot of gunshots right down the street from a Clark County drunk tank. We need to go. Lola is helping Camille sit up. Lydia groans, spits some blood onto the floor, and goes, Alright, let's go. I am grabbing my car keys from where I slid them to Lydia in my death throes and fucking going. Can I just, like, read a bad situation or something to see if I spot anything on the way out? Because, like, we might have cops on us pretty soon. Uh, yeah, sure, roll it to read a bad situation. Hot damn! So that's a 14. (laughs) Okay, so I get two questions off the list and one custom question. Are there any dangers we haven't noticed? Are there any other sirens lurking about? There are no other sirens. Um, you see the English Racing Green van in the parking lot. It's hanging open. But you thought something was weird when you pulled in here about the street around you. And you realize what it is as you step out. Because the Circus Circus was not there before. And now it's back. And it is also on fire. It is surrounded by first responders. <laughs> oh no! Did I do that? Seems like probably not. Lola actually stops and goes, What the fuck? Not my flaming circus, not my flaming monkeys, let's go. Lydia's pushing past you and just goes, Welcome to fabulous Las Vegas, kids. Second question, given the conflagration across the street, what's my best way out? It doesn't seem like anybody is looking your way yet, given the conflagration across the street, so it seems like if you go with a quickness, you can just drive out. Okay, uh, custom question, just because Barry loves TTRPGs and loot, loot, I like to loot. Is there anything useful I can grab on the way out of here? I would say in the van, it's like fully kitted out. All of their instruments are in here, like all of their equipment. There is a duffel bag that has a significant quantity of cash. Mine now. They're not using it. Fair enough. And, like, they do have a variety of instruments in here. You saw a bunch of them in the videos. Is that Jimi Hendrix's signature guitar in here? Yes, it is. Kay grabs it, but she doesn't know why. And then, yep, in the cut list, getting out of here with a quickness. 
I don't think we should go back to the hospital tonight, but, like, Lola and Lydia are in really bad shape. Okay. Lydia holds herself into the back seat. Uh, Lola dumps Camille next to her and then hops in the passenger side. You hop in the driver's seat. I assume you stow the guitar either, like, in the wheel wells in the back seat or in the trunk. And you start driving out of this parking lot. As you are about to pull out onto the road, you almost get clipped by a limo that is just hightailing it down the road. I roll down my window and stick a middle finger out at them and yell, Eat the rich! This limousine with its tinted windows does not slow down, does not stop, just keeps going and disappears off into the night. Okay, yeah, I'm driving everybody back to my house. I fervently pray that there are some first aid supplies back there. Okay, yeah, you get everybody in the door. Um, Camille still seems, like, dazed and not really sure what's going on. Lola toes her in, dumps her on the love seat, and then puts one hand to their ribcage and just swears fluently for a few seconds. Okay, I'm the most stable one here health-wise because I died and then I didn't. So I'm going to run upstairs and ransack the bathroom for any medical supplies that we have, because Lydia needs fucking triage right now. You run up to the upstairs bathroom. You have that same weird feeling you've had every single time you've walked in here. You start rifling through the cabinet. And to your left, you hear the water start to run in the bathtub. Shut up, Mom, I'm busy. No response. The water does shut off. (laughs) You find the first aid kit fairly quickly. You grab that and you hightail it back down the stairs. Okay, Lydia has like one hit point left, so she's the most severely injured. I'm going to handle her shit first. From what I can find in the rulebook, it just says that I could do up to three harm on a first aid move, and that's just something I have to say that I'm doing. So she should be stable. Okay, yeah, you get back down. Uh, Lydia is sprawled out on your couch, singing show tunes, looking extremely done with the world. And you sit down and start stitching up her arm, and she goes, Just... Do me a favor and be careful with the face. I work customer service. Well, if your personality hasn't put anybody off yet, nothing I can do to you will. Hold still. She laughs and just goes, (laughs) Fuck you. And then slings her uninjured arm over her eyes and just lets you stitch her up. Okay, as soon as I'm done with that and she is not bleeding everywhere anymore, I'm going to go to the kitchen and get Lola an ice pack for their ribs. Lola has decided to sit down at the kitchen table, presumably to get away from Lydia bleeding everywhere and Camille kind of concussed on the loveseat. So they take this ice pack from you with a grateful nod and just press it to their chest and go... Yeah, sorry. Broken ribs are a real bitch. It's not the actual bone that hurts you. It's the bruising. She nods with a grimace and says, 
Yeah, I know. Uh, 12 years Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And then they kind of waggle their eyebrows at you and say, I'm good, but I'm not that good. Cool, Kay has a sapphic panic for like a solid 20 seconds, but then like stands up and starts fussing around with the kitchen, trying to clean it up and make it presentable. I will say, as you are futzing around, you notice that there is a glass broken at the bottom of the sink. When the hell did- Uh, Alright, fine, whatever. She, like, picks it up and puts it somewhere safe, like in a spare cardboard box or something, and then just goes back to frantically crisis cleaning. Um, do you want something to drink? I would offer you something to eat, but, uh, it's pretty much all easy, Mac. Uh, only if you've got a bendy straw. Broken rib on one side, sprained elbow on the other. Lifting a cup is not going to be easy. I know Lydia went grocery shopping for me not too long ago. Do I have anything to offer Lola to drink? Okay, as far as liquids that are in your fridge, you have a big, like, gallon bottle of Arizona iced tea. You have juice boxes that have been pushed to the back behind some things. You have a bottle of, like, pre-made Frappuccino, and if you get desperate, you got a big jar of pickles in here. Okay. Um, I'm gonna get a juice box for Lola, because it has a bendy straw, and then crack the top off the pickle jar and take a sip for myself. Uh, consume that at your own risk. Knowing my palate, that could be from this week, or it could be from when I was eight. Worst case scenario, the fermentation's kicked in and it gets you drunk. Lola nods thoughtfully, takes a sip of the juice box, and then says, So your whole kitchen situation kind of screams millennial who lives alone. Don't take that the wrong way. I don't live alone. I've got... (gasps) Oh god, the boys! Uh, what? My sons. Don't worry, they're very good with new people, but I have to let them out of their cage first. Lola stares at you. (laughs) And then from the living room, you hear... They're ferrets! Okay, can I get an ice pack? Uh, yeah, coming. I'm gonna make ice packs for Camille and Lydia and go take them in and then unleash the boys. Lydia takes an ice pack gratefully. Um, Camille kind of snatches it from you, puts it directly on her face, and then lays down with a groan. And the boys scamper and frolic about the room. Alright, you two, rest. I'm in the other room if you need me. She scoops both of the ferrets up and carries them back into the kitchen to sit down with Lola. You sit back down at the kitchen table. Lola is still holding an ice pack with one hand and holding a juice box with the other. And after a minute, they take a deep breath, put the juice box down, put both hands over their face, and just go, Oh god, that was almost so bad. Yeah, it was almost terrible. You know, I died. Again. But who's counting at this point? They drag their hands a little bit further down on her face so she can look at you. There's no good way for me to answer that. And then there's a pause, and they put a hand over their mouth and just go, (laughs) Oh, fuck. You cannot tell whether she is laughing or crying, and you don't think she knows either. 
Yeah, Kay is too exhausted to mask the autism. All they can do is mirror. They start cry laughing, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was almost super bad. <laughs> Someone's gonna have to call Courtney Hernandez and tell her her fucking sister's dead. <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Lola has both arms wrapped around her stomach and goes, ah, fuck my rib. Oh, God. Oh, God. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I have her number. Um, I, I can... No, 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 Lola, it's... Look, I'm sure it's not news she's anxious to hear, and delivering it can maybe wait until morning and a trip to the ER, for those of us still among the living. Oh god, no, that wasn't a somebody is dead joke. I, I mean, it was, a, it was an I'm... Well, so maybe it was a somebody's dead... No, I'm gonna stop talking. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It'll wait until morning. Um, she shakes her head with a rustle of braids. This is not exactly how I wanted this to go. Kay goes very still and looks down at where they still have grave dirt under their fingernails, despite trying to clean it all out. Yeah. You ain't a shittin'. How does it, uh, normally go for you? <laughs> normal. Uh, there, there, there is no normal in these situations. Um, usually better than this. Either I miss everything by a mile, or I get there in time. I say usually, it's, it's, um... <sighs> I'm doing my best, but, like, this isn't exactly something that happens every week. I, um... Been a while since I directly lost anybody, though. Um... <sighs> she scrubs a hand over her mouth and then says, You know, I was at a... Stupid high school party, December 21st, 2012, when everything happened, I... <laughs> I was in my senior year, and I was still in my, you know, gotta be a straight girl, or what was the point of coming out in the first place, era. Um, and this guy that I had been in the same classes with since middle school invites me over to his place, and I'm not that into him, but, you know, I have to try. And he's nice enough, you know, he's not a bad guy. Uh, football player, you know. So, I go over, and it's just a, a little thing, a few friends. And I'm sitting on his couch, and I see the wall start to move. Um, she kind of wipes at her nose, shakes her head. She's not looking at you. So I assume I'm a little fucked up. Everybody's been passing a blunt around. It's that kind of party. And the guy that invited me, um, 
he's he's nice enough, obviously, but I don't know all of his friends, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell them that I think I'm fucked up enough that the So I say that I'm gonna go out for some air. And on the way out, the walls are still moving and bulging and I get to the front door and something comes out of the wall. And I just, it looked almost like a person, you know? I, I don't know what it was still, I, I just, it looked almost like a person. And it looked me in my eyes and I ran. She shakes herself out of it, and they say, "So yeah, um, not a not a great night for anybody there. Um, I'm lucky that it left the other girls alive, or I think I would have been in some serious legal trouble. Um, but you know, the four of us at least could back up each other's stories. Weird, creepy thing comes out of the wall." Kills a bunch of high schoolers. So, yeah, it um, it, it usually goes better than this, but not every time, I guess. Can't win them all. God, Lola, I'm so sorry. I um, I don't know where I was or what I was doing when all of it went down. Uh, like I said, brain's kind of a etch-a-sketch. But, um... I lost someone, too. For whatever that's worth. You're not there anymore. You are walking through the front door, checking your phone. And the house is dark and deadly silent around you. And then you're back. Lola's nodding and saying, Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, for what it's worth, I'm sorry too. Anyway, um, she shakes her head and stands up and then stops, braces herself against the table and goes, <sighs> Too fast, okay. Nods again and says, Uh, I, I should go check on Cammy. Um, I'm gonna... Hey, just... <sighs> I'm real dog shit at the whole comfort thing, but we save who we can where we can, right? Yeah. Who we can where we can. And then she walks into your living room. What are you doing? I think they just sit there for a second and stare down at their phone to where the voicemails from Damien are still there. And then extremely sad and searching for comfort, they're going to get up and go give the boys some treats. Okay, you give the boys some treats in your living room. Lola is sitting on the love seat with Camille kind of leaned against their shoulder. Lydia is still sprawled out on the couch, appears to be taking a nap. And then your front door bursts open. Oh, hell no. Do I still have my gun? 
Yeah, I think so. Getting that out. The door bursts open and someone whose voice you have only heard over the phone since you've been resurrected yells, All right, motherfucker. Whoa. Hey. And Ellis O'Connell, holding a suitcase, is standing in the entryway. The first thing you notice is, I think subconsciously you expected her to be short. She's obviously not as tall as you are, but she is, like, verging on six feet. She's a big girl. Solidly built. She is wearing a turtleneck under a blazer and very sturdy jeans. She stands there for a second, blinking. And then says, what the fuck? And then looks you up and down, looks around the room and goes, what the fuck? Hello, Ellis. Um, a lot has happened since the last time we talked. Uh, I got a new job. Uh, found out that Damien is alive. No, really, for real this time. Got looped into a supernatural murder mystery. Uh, I died. Well, I had died before the last time we talked, but again, this is Lola and Camille and Lydia. It appears that Lydia is not, in fact, napping because she opens her eyes to slits, gives a quick wave, and says, Hey, Ellie. And Ellis drops her suitcase to the floor with a thump. So, Damien. We know how this goes. You drop a flaming steel beam on Leslie Jordan, he turns into a terrifying monster, and you, Luke, and Dahlia run out of the room. You emerge out of the doors of this lobby to a small vestibule, like a little fishbowl of a room that would typically be between the inside of the Solstice Casino and the outside world but the sky outside these glass panels is still black and void-like. What are you doing? I skid to a stop in front of this door, put both arms out to stop Luke and Dahlia, and say, We can't walk out there. Not until we're back in the real world. We can't... Back in this lobby, the monster that is Matheon of the Solstice Throne is still writhing underneath this beam, but still very much alive, looking like he is getting ready to throw it off. I'd like to roll to use magic. Okay, go ahead and do that, please. Okay, I'm rolling to try and bar this uh, inner door, like the one that is between us and the lobby, from all fey creatures. I'm going to use a luck point. Oh, shit. So on a 12, uh, it works, and I don't experience any glitches, and the keeper, that's you, will offer me some added benefit. Okay. The benefit that I am going to offer you is two-pronged. I am going to offer you a clean escape, and I am going to offer you insight. The magic ripples out from your hand as you cast this spell. You see it spread like the rainbows over an oil slick across this open door. And seconds later, 
as you look out the glass panels of this vestibule, you see the sky go from deep black nothingness to the light-polluted skies of Las Vegas in the wee hours of the morning. There are streetlights shimmering in the near distance. You can see the bright neon of the strip reflecting up into the pollution haze over the city. And then a split second later, you start to hear two cell phones ringing off the hook. Luke and Dahlia have both been bombarded with a swarm of text messages, it seems. They both reach down and pull out their phones. Luke, still trying to clutch at his bleeding arm, looks down at the screen and goes, Holy shit, it's 3.30 a.m. Yeah, well, Faye, time works different. I turn to Dahlia and I say, Call Octavia, now. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, on it. She starts tapping at her phone. Are you going to leave? Can I read a bad situation to see what's going on outside? Yeah, sure, go ahead and do that. I have plus one to sharp. Ah, that's a nine. Okay, you get one question off the list. Are there any dangers we haven't noticed? You hear sirens. Lots of them. It sounds like an entire fleet of emergency response vehicles is just descending upon your location. And... As you look out across this big parking lot outside the Pleasure Dome and to the small collection of buildings across the street, you see that one of those buildings is on fire. It looks to be a derelict, mostly abandoned strip mall. Ah, shit. Did I do that? How could I have done that? Dahlia, still frantically tapping at her phone, goes, I don't think you did! You hear a ring and then a click as this phone is put on speaker, and then Octavia's voice going, Where the hell have you guys been? Before Dahlia cuts her off with, Back door, pick up, now! Yeah, I think the strategy is to stay inside the vestibule until Octavia pulls up, and then we pile out into the limo and get out of here. You watch this building across the street continue to burn, But there is a fiery glow that is much more intense going up into the sky closer to where you are. You see a haze of smoke. You see a dirty orange light illuminating the night. And when the emergency response vehicles show up, they all start turning toward you. Like you get the feeling that the bigger fire is over here. You see the headlights of the limo flashing through the smoke as it comes screaming out of the parking garage, and just as you were going to reach for the front door to open it and escape, you hear a voice behind you. You don't want to do this, Damien. I grind my teeth so hard my jaw hurts. And... I'm gonna hand the she-shield to Luke. I'm gonna look at him and Dahlia, nod at the door, and go, I'm on your tail. And then I turn back to this voice. The entirety of the Pleasure Dome is on fire behind you. 
you see this horrible, disjointed Leslie Jordan monster writhing in flames, shrieking, almost insect-like. But closer, in the foreground, you see Silmaris of the Solstice Throne, with one hand pressed up against this magical barrier you have cast. He does not look perfect and placid anymore. His immaculate hairstyle is rumpled. There is soot all over the front of his bespoke suit. And more unsettling than that, his perfect calm expression has been corrupted by fear. He leans into this barrier and you could see it flexing around his hand as he puts his weight, both physical and magical, behind it. And while he's not looking directly at you, he is staring in your general direction. I promise you, whatever happens next, I am not going to die in here, and I can help you. I know what's coming for you. As the door opens behind me, I step forward across this vestibule with my teeth bared. Yeah, I bet you do. So do I. And I know I don't want your help. As Luke and Dahlia move away from you, taking the she-shield with them, you notice something happen to Silmaris's line of sight. His eyes narrow in on you, and you get the impression, oh, he can actually see me now, this thing has an area of effect, and I am outside it. What you want and what you need are two different things. I know what is after you. And whatever else you may think of me, overall, I am a businessman. I know that sometimes we have to make unsavory alliances for the greater good. I don't typically agree with my colleagues in the Unseelie Court about... Well, anything, really. But I am telling you that there is something out there that is bigger and badder than me, that is bigger and badder than the person who wants you back. And you play an integral role in making sure that that thing never sees power again. It doesn't have a place in this world the way it is now, Damien. You couldn't even begin to fathom what would happen. You have a part to play in this and the blood of an entire world will be on your hands if you don't play it. I'll take my chances. And I set the door on fire and I run. You lunge through these doors and directly into the open back seat of the limousine. Dahlia and Luke are already waiting for you, and you hear Octavia cursing up a storm from the moment you pile in. You slam the door shut behind you. The limousine burns rubber out of this big roundabout in front of the lobby, just barely missing being cut off by an incoming ambulance. You drive out going way too fast, run a red light, whip around a corner onto South Sammy Davis Jr. Boulevard, and almost run headlong into the ugliest old shit brown cutlass you've ever seen in your life. 
I process it a second too late and like whip around to look at this car. Just squinting. I don't have my glasses. The brakes on the limo squeal. Octavia cusses a bit louder than she already has been. And you see the person in the front seat of this car roll down the window and stick a hand out, middle finger up at you as they roll past. You don't quite hear what they say, but you know what, just just roll a flat plus sharp for me, please. Okay. Uh, that is a nine. Okay, that is a mixed success. So with how fast you are able to perceive this scene going on around you in comparison to how fast everything is going, I think what just happens is you're not there anymore. You are in the passenger seat of a truly ancient car. You can feel the protesting whine of the engine in the floorboards underneath your feet. Distorted music is playing through the radio, and right next to you, someone is shouting, Oh, come on! There's another sound beside you of somebody rolling down a hand-cranked window to lean out and shove a middle finger up into the open, hot Vegas air. And this voice says, Fucking tourists! And then you're back. And the train of thought that crosses your mind is best summed up with the following. Hold on. Was that... Nah. And that's where we're going to end for this time. Yeah, it sure is. Yep. And the misses get nearer and nearer every time. <laughs> we'll see what happens next time. On Compelled Dual Desert Song. Hey everybody, Barry here with the postscript, just clearing up a couple housekeeping things here at the end of the episode. I'm gonna take this opportunity to apologize for the hiatus. We've been through a lot since the end of last year, and we're just now starting to get things back into gear. Thank you for your patience. I'm gonna go ahead and plug our social media profiles. You can find us on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok at CompelledDuel. We have lots of other cool stuff going on, however, an official website, an official Spotify profile, stuff like that. You can find all of that stuff linked on any of our various social media profiles. If you're interested in supporting the show, we ask that you consider heading over to patreon.com slash compelled duel, where starting at just $2 a month, you can get access to all kinds of cool patron perks, 
including early access to episodes, access to exclusive playlists and bonus content, stuff like that. If you're interested in supporting the show in ways other than pledging to the Patreon, however, we ask that if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that you leave us a rating and a review, since that helps the show get promoted to a wider audience. And as always, if you like what you're hearing on the show, we ask that you just tell a couple of friends about it. And if they like it, ask them to tell a couple of friends as well. Word of mouth advertising is the most powerful tool we have at our disposal. So. Again, given how chaotic everything has been, our production schedule still isn't working the way it used to in the past. Given life and things and everything that goes into a production of this scale with a two-person team, we're not giving formal release dates for episodes in the near future. They'll just come out when they come out. They'll always come out on a Monday, and we'll always give a heads up about them coming via social media, though. We're hoping to be able to get back to a regular release schedule as soon as we possibly can, but until we do, we'll keep you posted. And of course, we do have our episode Q&As on our YouTube channel. That will always be posted the Monday after an episode comes out, so episode comes out, week later... Find us on YouTube. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time.